Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fourth Sunday in Advent, December 19th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. A special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. can be found in your pew Bible on page 1588 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love just about everything about Christmas time. I love the food, I love getting together with family. I love the weather, yes. I love the snow and the ice and the cold. I love giving presents and watching my children open them. I love good Christmas hymns. And I love good Sunday school Christmas programs. And I love average Christmas music on the radio. And I love most Christmas movies. White Christmas, the original animated Dr. Seuss version of The Grinch, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story. But there is a facet to secular Christmas movies that sucks Christians in, and I think in time we're almost blind to it altogether. When you take Christ's birth out of Christmas, there's a whole series of dominoes that begin to fall. Let's, let's say that it starts with the spirit of Christmas. Heard that phrase before? Seen it on TV in the last couple of days and weeks? Okay. Someone in a movie about the spirit of Christmas ends up being 
a Scrooge. Not the literal Scrooge here, but just the version of Scrooge. Because in some event in their life, they've lost the spirit of Christmas. And then at this point, most of whatever movie you're watching centers around saving Christmas, either for this one individual or for humanity, collectively speaking. And so far, I'm tracking with what Hollywood is trying to do. I get that they're trying to communicate that the Christmas season should be about joy and about fellowship and about goodwill and all of that. But then the solution springs itself. And we realize suddenly just how far, the rabbit, how far down the rabbit hole we've fallen. Because in Hollywood, for the generic Christmas movie, with the spirit of Christmas, the solution to saving Christmas is almost always you've just got to believe. Faith, for the sake of faith in this situation, is an act of the will. It's the, the flex of a muscle. It's if you're the Grinch, your heart enlarging three times and breaking the brass bracket that surrounds it. And this is the sort of thing that gets Christians in trouble during the Christmas season. Because we know by Scripture that you simply cannot just possess faith. You can't have faith without having an object, without something to believe in. There is no such thing as a generic faith. And well, it is true that some of the outcome of these movies are that we believe in ourselves, Christians ought to know that not only is that a dangerous proposition, but we have something much better to believe in. In fact, it's what we've been celebrating during the entirety of Advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, in our gospel lesson, John, Elizabeth, and Mary will show us one big truth about Christmas. One big truth that we miss in all these heartwarming Christmas movies. And that's the presence of Jesus changes everything. So let's take a look first at John. John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 doesn't really have a speaking part. That's because he hasn't been born yet. But he's there. And as he is ushered into the presence of Jesus, who in turn is in Mary's womb, he leaps for joy. Even though I remember as a father quite vividly feeling the movement of my unborn children kick, I imagine that what happens with John to Elizabeth is something only a mother can truly appreciate. Something that a mother can stop and pause and wonder. And this reality of John leaping in the womb at the presence of Christ 
reminds us of two glorious realities. First, faith is much more than mental assent to a grouping of facts. Jesus teaches later on in his ministry that faith is for children, the very youngest of children. And this is what John demonstrates to us this morning. In fact, the second reality is that this is why we baptized. What John does in Elizabeth's womb is exactly why we baptize. We know that not only can children believe, but they do believe. And this is a miracle from God because of the presence of Jesus Christ. So it was with the infant John, and so it is with every infant who is brought to the Lord. Jesus Christ, present with his word, creates faith in babies just as he creates faith in adults. It's no less of a miracle. And that's because the presence of Jesus changes everything. From John, we move to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, feeling her baby filled with joy, she too is filled with joy as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. I imagine that every experience Elizabeth had during her pregnancy with John is a wonderful and joyful yet perplexing experience. For the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she had to be thinking to herself, this wasn't supposed to happen. Both she and Zechariah were old and advanced in years. And you get the idea that Scripture is painting for us the idea of a second Abraham and a second Sarah. Senior citizens, now pregnant with the baby. Beyond that, as this happens, something happened to Zechariah in the temple. Now, we know about the contents of Zechariah's vision from Luke. He records them for us. We get a behind-the-scenes glance at what's going on in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. And I'm sure along the way, during the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah tried to tell Elizabeth what was going on by writing it down. But I think what we often forget in this is that during nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, three quarters of a year, Zechariah can't speak. He is entirely mute. And now, for you husbands and wives out there, wives, try to imagine a pregnancy, a sudden and an unexpected pregnancy, a miraculous pregnancy, a glorious pregnancy, going through that with a husband who is entirely mute. Now, add in the fact that there's no modern medical care. Add in everything else going on in the world around you. And nothing about what Elizabeth experiences is normal. It's weird. It's life-altering. And so when Mary, her relative, visits, 
I, I can't even imagine Elizabeth's relief. We know Elizabeth is joyful. There's an entire theme in Scripture of the sorrow of barrenness being replaced by the joy of pregnancy. It happens over and over and over again. Sarah and Hannah and Rachel. You just bounce from one woman to another in the Old Testament and the theme is there. But at the same time, in modern Rome, as it were 2,000 years ago, does Elizabeth, among her neighbors in an unnamed town of Judah, we don't even know where they lived, does Elizabeth feel like a spectacle? Is she comforted? Is she encouraged? Or does she grow weary under the watchful eyes in the whispering tongues of her neighbors? Mary's visit must have been such a relief. It must have been such a comfort. It must have been such a blessing. In fact, that's exactly what Elizabeth does when Mary arrives. She blesses. Elizabeth's joy is expressed in speaking the words of God. Because I think, and as I studied the text, I came to this conclusion. I think that when Mary shows up and Elizabeth herself is inspired to, by the Holy Spirit to speak the words of God, I think maybe for the first time, Elizabeth finally gets it. Elizabeth puts the whole thing together and has peace. This is what Elizabeth says, and listen again. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's that last phrase that caught my attention. From the Lord. Elizabeth has been blessed. She's been blessed by God. And as she comes face to face with a familiar face, and in the presence of her Lord, Elizabeth turns and blesses. She passes on the peace she finally has. She blesses Mary. She blesses God himself. And in Elizabeth, we see for ourselves that faith flows from what God has delivered to us in his word. In this miraculous instant, Elizabeth responds to the reality of Jesus Christ by praising God for keeping his promises. In Elizabeth, and in the entire complexity of her situation, she finds peace because the presence of Jesus changes everything. And then finally, Mary. If I was going to try and be really cheeky this morning, I'd have an entire section in this sermon about Mary responding in faith of singing. I tried really hard to do that, but that's not the point of our New Testament lesson this morning. The Magnificat, Mary's song, 
as a special place in the church and has had so for two millennia. It's been incorporated into liturgies. It's been celebrated. It's been written about. You can find books just on the Magnificat. I, I worked with someone for eight years who did his doctoral thesis on just this song. It's very important. But in the Magnificat, Mary expresses the joy of her faith in two parallel truths. First, and really unexpectedly, Mary celebrates the state of her humility. Now, I want to be clear here, Mary doesn't brag about how humble she is. She celebrates that God has used her in her state of humility. We need to appreciate this. From the outside looking in, Mary, as she goes to visit Elizabeth, is at the bottom rung of Jewish society. There's no one lower than Mary. She is as it were, a single, unmarried, pregnant woman. Now, she's betrothed to Joseph. She has that going for her. But, but again, this is extra-biblical. This is outside of the text. For the nine months of Mary's pregnancy, you have to pause and wonder how Joseph and Mary handled it. Did Mary for several months, wear extra baggy clothes to, describe, to, to hide, to disguise the baby bump, was part of her traveling to see Elizabeth to get her out of the gossip of wherever her and Joseph were living because she's pregnant. Now, we have all of the glory and all of the intent of Scripture to communicate what we need to know about Mary's pregnancy and the birth of Christ. But behind all that, between the lines of Scripture, are nine months of history where Mary had to deal with an uncomfortable situation, even knowing what she knew. There is no real prospect for upward mobility for Mary beyond Joseph's commitment to deal with her honorably. And we would remember that from Matthew, Joseph's commitment to deal with Mary honorably comes directly from an angel. But Mary stands in a long line of people whom God has used and those people all together in Scripture simply echo this. Who am I? Why would God do this for me? Or Mary puts it this way. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And you can hear the wonder and the astonishment in her voice. But it's the second reality that puts it all together for us. Because Mary celebrates in the Magnificat the reality of God's mercy. Everything in her song speaks of God and his great and miraculous and wondrous provision for his people. But all of it flows from his mercy. And it's right there for us to hold on to in faith. Mary's pronouncement to us is a treasure. God's mercy is for those who fear him. 
And this, God's mercy for Mary is brought to reality for her by the baby in her womb. The presence of Jesus changes everything. There comes a point for every Christian where this exact moment that Mary expresses becomes the outcome and the reality of our faith. Just like the -the run-of-the-mill Christmas movie that we've probably all seen, we do, in fact, need the joy of Christmas. We need to express the joy of our faith. We should be singing about it. We should be proclaiming about it. We should be greeting each other with it. But the joy of Christmas doesn't come from conjuring it up within ourselves. It doesn't come from just believing. The joy of Christmas comes from the mercy of God. And the mercy of God comes to us through Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus changes everything. And this is the good news of Christmas for us, just as it was the good news for Mary and Elizabeth and John. Jesus shows up. And then Jesus doesn't deliver to us the power of positive thinking. He doesn't just show us how to do it right. Jesus delivers us from our sins. The unborn baby that caused John to leap in the womb and Elizabeth to praise God for his promises and Mary to sing a song of gratitude to God for his mercy. That baby is the Savior who delivers God's mercy to you and to me. Just as the presence of Jesus changed everything for John and Elizabeth and Mary, it changes everything for us too. When we pause and we think, here at this moment, Jesus is with us. He is with us right here and right now with his word forgiving our sins. Jesus is right here and right now, his body and blood on the altar in holy communion, delivering that forgiveness to us. The biggest problem you and I will have this Christmas isn't that we might lose the spirit of Christmas. The biggest problem that we have is that we are sinners who have rebelled against the perfect, holy, and righteous God. We have disobeyed his commands, and we have tried to replace God with ourselves. But in God's patience, and in his grace, and in his mercy, God has given us a Savior who died for us, who shed his blood for us, who rose again for us, and who is here with us right now. The presence of Jesus changes everything. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.